the church experience online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful Growth Step resources. Join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you've learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. Hey, I want to just start by scrolling some pictures for you of what this place used to look like before it got a renovation, a major renovation. And you're going to see some before and after, if you can kind of discern the, the, which ones were before and after. I think it should be pretty easy because a lot of people in this room put in a lot of effort. In fact, I would love just to appreciate and thank those of you who went without sleep, you neglected your own houses, your own cars, maybe sometimes your jobs so that you could be here in, late into the night. I want to thank you guys. In fact, everybody who helped out, Getting this space ready. Would you just stand up? There's people sprinkled throughout this room. Can you just stand up? Come on, stand on your feet. Can we thank all these guys? That's awesome. Thank you guys so much. Amazing. Thank you guys. You can grab a seat. I'm so grateful that you made it possible for us to be here. And I also want to thank Jennifer. Uh, when I first met her, uh, I knew that she had beautiful eyes. But I just didn't know all the vision that was behind those eyes. She had vision for this whole project before it began and picked out all the different things and it was just incredible. And Jennifer, thank you for being the eyes of the project and making it come together. In fact, it, it makes more sense to me now why she started dating me at 19 years old. Because at 19, I couldn't figure out how I got to date her, how, how I got such an amazing girl in my life. Because I was a little bit of a mess. I mean, like she literally went into my closet and we started dating and she's like, hey, you know that, that outfit that you wear? Like those don't match at all. You know, just throw those pants away. Like don't ever, do, you know, so I was like a mess, but, but she still decided to, to date me, thank God. And, and I see now why. Because she had such vision, she saw what could be. She loved me where I was, but she's like, I can make this guy into somebody. Now she's, she would tell you now that there's a long way to go yet before we get there. But she would say that he's come a long way from where he was when she met me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm having some fun, but, but really what I want to say that is because what I love about Jesus is that he loves us where he finds us, but he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us there. See, he, he loves us even when we've ignored him, when we've neglected him, when we've rebelled against him, he loves us. When we've wasted years and when we've missed opportunities, even trashed our lives, he still loves us and cares about us. Kind of like a loving parent who looks at their one-year-old sitting in their high chair on their first birthday and tearing through that birthday cake and they got it all over their face and all over their hands. They're just a terrible mess, but that parent still loves that little child. And the Father in heaven, he loves you so much and Jesus loves you so much even when we've made messes. And I put that there in your teaching notes. I'd love for you to write it down and never forget it. That Jesus loves me through the messes I make. He, he loves me in the middle of my messes. He, he loves me so much and he loves me so much that he won't leave me there. That he's always wanted me to change and to grow and mature in my faith. He's got vision. He has, he has eyes for what could be, not just what is. 
He sees your potential more than anybody else. I hope you have people in your life that believe in you. But whether you do or you don't, you need to know that Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees so much raw potential. He sees what could be. He sees the more that he wants to do in your life, the more that is to come. If you'll allow him to come in and do some interior design. See, Jesus is the ultimate interior designer. He wants to come in the inside of us and completely do a renovation project that changes us from the inside out. That's, that's what he wants to accomplish in our lives. And he never stops. Some of us have been following Jesus for some time now. Maybe it's new to you, but, but for some of us in the room, I don't know, for me, I grew up in a home where I was taught about Jesus at a young age. And maybe we're the most in the room in the danger of missing what we're talking about today because it can become too familiar to us. Like the more we know about Jesus and we get used to his grace and the idea that we can be saved from our sins and given hope of heaven and the companionship with God, all these incredible things that it could start to feel just like expected and entitled. And it almost can be like that worn couch in your parents' house, you know, the one that's been there like 25 years. And that thing is so beat up and it's, it's jagged and torn and it's just ugly, you know, but like no one wants to get rid of it. There's all the memories, but, but more than anything, they just don't notice it. Like nobody notices it. You just walk right past it. That's the chair. It's always been there in that same spot collecting dust, you know, and, and, and you just get used to it. And, and if we're not careful in our souls, the same thing can happen. We can get a little too familiar and comfortable and we can we can miss the wonder and the awe and how amazing it is to live for and love Jesus. And what I want for us today is for Jesus to do some soul surgery, so to, to transform and change us and wherever we are to get us closer to where he wants to take us, to, to do some further renovations inside of us. Some of us may feel like it's a, it's a big project, that he, he's got a long way to go. <laughs> you know, I'm thankful I'm not where I used to be, but man, he's got a long way to go. And I want to encourage you today because I think Jesus would look at your life and maybe he would agree with you and say, yeah, there is a long way to go, but that's just because I believe in you so much. But listen, you're not where you used to be and you're not where you could be. You could be in a much worse place, but, but you're seeking him. You're here today. You're worshiping. You're, you're, you're reaching out. You're trying to learn and grow. And I think that God would want to encourage those of us in that spot today. But most of all, I'd want you to know today as we jump into this, this message, we're going to look at this incredible story today of how Jesus transformed the lives of two people, two people who are desperate for him. And as we look at this story, I just want you to know something is that Jesus changes everything. And he can do it in a moment. And he'll do it for a lifetime if you'll allow him. And I don't know what it is today that you hope that he will change. It might be a marriage that you hope that gets better. It might be seeking wisdom for parenting or a job or a future. It might be some goal that you're going after. It might be a sin in your life that you can't get out of and those chains are holding you back. I don't know where you need to find hope or let, let fear dissipate in your life, but Jesus is the one who can change everything. That's, that's the answer. That's where we're going. I'm giving the answer on the front end. But we're going to go on a journey together. And I hope it's really helpful for you today. And we're going to look at the story of these two people in need of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. This, this story, interestingly, is told in uh, three different books in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story that Jesus had, this really interesting interaction that he had with two people. And I just want to go ahead and begin reading this uh, to you in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. It says, talking about Jesus, while he was saying this, so he's speaking. It says, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him. And he said, my daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and he went with him. And so did his disciples. 
Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. We'll come back and finish the story later, but this is a really uh, devastating time for both of these two people. One of them had a crisis that came up suddenly. The other one had a crisis that, that had been building for 12 years. This woman had a bleeding issue that she couldn't fix. She tried, she tried to solve it in any way that she could and seek help, but there was nothing that she could do, and, and it was a huge problem in her life. And then you have a, a, a ruler who has a, a daughter that was dying and has now died, and, and he's got a huge crisis in his life because the one that he loves has just passed away. And I used to teach this passage from the Bible different than I, that I'm going to today because I used to teach it you know, in, in one way you can look at this, like, look at Jesus. He's such a role model for us, which he is, in that he was going to help somebody, this, this man who comes and, and begs him. He says, come heal my daughter, and he goes with, her, goes with him to heal her. And as he's going, this woman interrupts him and says, come help me. And so he stops and helps her before he goes back to help this man. And I'm like, that, that's, that's what we should be uh, doing in our lives, is always be available and open to the interruptions of God. And although I think that's true, I look at this different as I've studied it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because when you look at the whole of this story and what's happening, I don't see it as an interruption anymore. It's almost like it's all happening simultaneously. Look at how Matthew records this same story. Matthew chapter 5, verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, do not be afraid, just believe. So this guy was already, and Matthew shows us that this, this guy comes to Jesus and the, and, the, and the daughter has already died. So Matthew's recording this story as, okay, this, is, this has happened and now he's going to heal it. But, but follow me, Mark here is saying, as he's speaking to this woman, the servant comes and tells the, the guy that the daughter had just died and, and they, the news just got to him. So it's all actually happening at the same time. Like Jesus is going through this crowd and he's surrounded by people. And this, this, this ruler comes up to him and falls at his feet and is begging him to heal this daughter. And the first part of the conversation must have meant she's almost dead. She's not dead yet because here in Mark, he's saying this guy comes and says she just died. And they're already in a conversation. So, so check this out. So, so Jesus is talking to a man who's saying my daughter's dying then he's interrupted by this woman who touches him and reaches out and she's being healed. And then the servant comes and says, hey, she just died. Don't bother him anymore. And then Jesus, while he was still speaking to the woman, says, hey, don't give up faith. I'm going to heal her. So all this is happening at the same time. This is chaos, <laughs> organized divine chaos. I mean, it's just crazy. And people are being healed and People are being given hope and, hey, don't give up. I'm, I'm coming. And, and, and you, I'm just telling you to have faith. It's, your faith has healed you. He's in the middle of this, this beautiful mess. Why is that important? I think it's important because I love the biblical stories where Jesus goes into the garden and he prays by himself. He goes up on the mountainside to pray. He goes on a walk on the lake. You know, he, he has these magnificent moments with God where it's just the two of them. The, the father and the son, you know, it's, they're tight. And he's got these, you know, we have this beautiful prayer recorded in John 17. And there's these moments of, of solitude 
and connection that's just so serene. You know what I mean? It's like, that almost feels like that's the goal of my Christian life. If I could just have some devotional time, we, call, we even call it that time with God, reading the Bible and prayer, we even call it like quiet time. It's like, that's the goal. If I could just have some quiet time with God, if I could have some quiet time with Jesus, and man, that, that's crucial, that's so important. I think you should begin every day that way. But what I like about this, it's, it's strangely comforting, is that, that Jesus is in the middle of a mess and he's still loving people and ministering people because I'm asking the question, I know I can meet with Jesus in the solitude, but what about in the busyness? What about in the brokenness? What about when my life is not going how I want it to or when I'm not there yet or when I'm struggling or there's pressure and I have anxiety and I'm discouraged? What about those moments? Is Jesus in those moments? Can he be powerful there just like he can be powerful, you know, on, on, on my bedside with my nightstand and my devotional book? Can, can he be there and be in my workplace and in my neighborhood and in my family? Like, can Jesus go with me into the problems? And the answer is in your teaching notes, and I, I hope you'll write this down and think about it, is I can. Maybe I'll circle that. I can experience this idea of our church to help more people experience life in Jesus. I can experience and extend Jesus' love, even in busyness and brokenness. I, I need to know this, because I get busy. I don't know about you, but as soon as I leave that time with God in the morning, I, I find that my day has already gotten busy. <laughs> as soon as I look, there's all kinds of messages, and there's problems, and there's, there's needs, and there's things I'm thinking about that I didn't do yesterday, and, and things that are coming tomorrow that, that I'm tempted to be worried about. And it's just helpful to know that in the brokenness of life, in the, in the imperfections of life, Jesus is there. And, and he's there ministering and loving on people and caring about people. And, you know, I, I think I'm learning more over time that it's in, the, it's in the trials. It's in the trials. It's in the adversity of life that Jesus does some of his greatest work. Because if you think about it, I don't learn to be patient until my patience is tried. I, I, don't, really, I don't really build spiritual muscle until I have to carry a heavy load. I don't really know true peace until I've found peace in the middle of a storm. So we, we view problems and pain as the enemy in life, but what if God ordained some of the pressures in your life to point you to prayer, to point you to him? What if some of the things that we're begging God to get rid of and we're saying, God, I hate these things, and, and maybe he does want to bring healing there like he did in these two situations, but what if, what if the catalyst for you coming back to Jesus or getting closer to Jesus or breaking out of the familiarity and staleness of your faith, how it can be sometimes, what if it was pressure? What if it was problems that pointed us to him? And, and both of these people experienced Jesus in this crazy crowd and the chaos and problems and Jesus was there loving on them. And I, I think, it, you know, as we mature in our faith, I, I think we learn to identify and appreciate God's work inside the chaos you know, there was an interesting article that, that just came out recently about a tornado that went through Paducah, Kentucky, and it destroyed five miles of land. And there was a, a church there, Mount Zion Baptist Church in daycare, and they had 40 preschool students there and 10 adults in the building when this tornado came. They got the, they got the warning that was coming. And 10 minutes later from when they got the warning, they gathered everybody into this little safe room. And it was the only room that was not touched by that tornado. They, they were kept safe in there. And... They got this warning, they went in there, they, they could feel when the storm hit, the tornado hit, they could feel 
the decompression of the building. I mean, that's that sinking feeling in your chest that they literally felt. They heard glass breaking. The roof was being torn off. The power went out. And these little kids, these little preschoolers, of course, got scared. And so to keep them calm, I love this, that they started singing, Jesus loves me. And they started singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. And even though it feels like the world's being destroyed, like we're going to hold on. And, and I love that. And it says when they came out, the nursery had collapsed. The auditorium had been destroyed. The roof was gone. But this is the part I love, and I want to share this with you. So one of the, the church attenders, Sylvia Sherry, she said, we just give God the glory. What? We, we give God the glory, listen, that no one was hurt. We're, just, we're thankful no one was hurt. That's what we're focused on. The, the pastor of the church, Wes Connor, he said, church is not a building. Church is the people. Buildings can be rebuilt, and frankly, God's going to get uh, glory through this. God's going to give us vision for the future. See, the, the world can give you a positive attitude. Anybody can say, hey, just have a good attitude. You got bad stuff going on. Just have a, a good attitude about it. That's not what this is. Did you see what they're, they're saying here? See, most people saw destruction when they saw protection, right? Most people saw destruction and, and all the mess. They saw a message that, that God was trying to get through in this, that, man, there's going to be a, a better vision. There's a goal now in the future. God's going to do something new. See, here's what I'm trying to say. Spiritual immaturity identifies a problem inside every miracle. But spiritual maturity prays about the potential inside every mess. And, and when you're in a mess, when you have a need, when you have a problem, can you feel me? I mean, I think every one of us are in that spot. There's some kind of pressure in our life. It's in those moments, it's in those moments that God does some of his greatest work. So come to Jesus. And, and, and you know what? That's, that's really what this guy did. This guy whose daughter is dying did die in this conversation with him. L listen, listen again to that verse we read earlier. You, you might have missed it. I know I missed it the first time I read it. There's actually three things that he does. Three things that he does. It's going to be our outline there in your notes to say, you know, how can we bring this at home in our life? How can, we, how can we see Jesus change everything in us? Matthew 9, look at verse 18. Talking about Jesus, it says, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. So I want to know how to get Jesus to go with me and, and my, my problems. He got Jesus' response. How did, how did he do that? How did, Jesus ended up changing everything in his situation. He goes on and heals this daughter. It's crazy. How, how did that all come about? Like, because I, I have things in my life I want Jesus to change, to heal, to restore. You know, like, so, so when we want that, how do, we, how do we go about that? Well, look what the three things he did. While, while Jesus was talking, it says the synagogue leader came, one. Two, he knelt before him. And three, he said, he gave his need. That, that's going to be our outline. Let's, let's begin with this one. It's here in your notes. Three important things you need to do if you want to see Jesus change everything. Number one is believe in faith. It says he came. That, it's just very simple. He, it says he came. He came to Jesus. Jesus was in the crowd. Jesus was busy. This man had probably had a lot of other things going on in his life. He was a ruler. He had, he had authority and influence and responsibility. But, but all that aside, he had a pressing need that was more important than anything else in his life, his daughter. And it says that he came to Jesus. So believe in faith. That's when I have to believe enough to come to him and believe that he's listening and believe that when I come to him, he can change my situation. One of my mentors, Pastor Darren Chesky, pastors a great church in Indiana, he said, you know, Satan's main strategy towards God's people has always been to whisper, he's not listening. What good is prayer? He's just gonna do what he wants anyway. Don't pray, don't ask, don't depend on God. You just have to rely on yourself. And many of us are doing exactly that. 
We're relying on our own power, our own strength. And, and what I would encourage you with today is to know that he is listening and your prayers make a difference. And as you connect with him, as you come in faith and you say, Jesus, here's where I need your help. Here's where I need change. He responds, he moves in our lives and he wants us to come to him. I love the words of Ephesians chapter three. Not in verse 12 where it says, in him, and talking about Jesus, in him and through faith in him. Everybody say faith. And faith in him. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. So I can have freedom when I come before him. I, I, can, I can be free. I can be real and I can be raw. <laughs> I, I, can, I can bring the brokenness in my life. I, I, can, I can bring the issues to him. He's going to love me as we talked about at the beginning. He's going to love me in the midst of my messes. So he's going to love me. I can come freely. I can come confidently knowing that he's going to listen. Are you bringing before him your need? Maybe no one else gets you. Maybe no one else understands you or will listen. And no one gets your problem. Listen, this woman had a huge problem. The woman that was healed. She had this bleeding issue in her life for 12 years. Now, in that Jewish culture and, and those who were following the ways of God, they, they, and they would go into the temple courts and they would worship and they bring sacrifices and all these things. If you were ceremonially unclean, they had a whole list of things. If you touched blood and all those different things, they just like, you, you know, you're for this many days, you're, you're ceremonially unclean. And so you can't go into the temple courts. This woman, because of her specific issue, she was, as the Bible commentator Matthew Henry says, she was kept out of, of the temple courts for 12 years. So she wasn't able to physically come to God. She was, she was disconnected in that way physically. And she may have felt that rejection or socially, spiritually, there was a disconnect. But Jesus comes and Jesus receives her. She comes in the crowd, touches him, and she's healed, and, and he has a conversation with her. See, Jesus will accept you and, and, and as you are. He won't leave you that way. He'll say, go and sin no more. But in the middle of your sin, in the middle of your mess, he'll reach out his hand and say, I still love you. I believe in you. I want to work in your life. I'm not going to push you away and say, hey, go get right and then come to me. You don't got to go fix everything. Just come as you are. Just bring your problem. Bring your mess. Say, God, this is not working. I'm not doing well. God, my life's a mess, and he'll love you in it. He won't leave you in it because he loves you so much, but just come. And it says in Ephesians that we can come freely and confidently. That just gives me hope that no matter what the condition of my life is, I can always come. And my pain and my problems, they can prompt me to go into his presence. I like what pastor and author Rick Warren said. He says, don't panic, pray. Don't worry, worship. Just, just flip it around. You know, see the beauty inside the storm. You know, we just thank God for protection. We know there's destruction all around us. But we thank God for his protection. What's good in the midst of the problems that you can give God praise for? Can you praise him through your pain? Or does that, the pain have to go away before you believe in faith that he's good? Well, I'm not going to believe in God's good until this is done. Well, it doesn't seem like it worked that way. Jesus healed this woman. And he said, it's your faith that's healed you. This man came in faith and he came to Jesus and then Jesus went on and brought healing in his life. I have to come to him in faith. And, and, it, and it's, it's, it's not just that. It's, it's, it all begins with faith and it's all about faith, but there's also a role for me to play. If I want Jesus to change everything in my life, he includes me in that. It's him that does the healing. I mean, we, we believe he's the change in our life. But, but notice what this woman did. I wanna look at this from another angle in Luke. Luke writes about this story in, in Luke chapter eight, verse 41. It's interesting. It gives us some new details that we didn't have before. It says, then a, a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12 years old, was dying. 
As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Let me just stop there for a moment. So the crowds, they almost crushed him. So there's people all around. There, there's so many people. I mean, how, how, how crowded does it need to be on a street for you to feel like you're getting crushed? I mean, that's a lot of people in a, in a small space. So Jesus is literally being crushed. This woman comes to Jesus who is walking away from her because it says she comes up behind him. So he's, he's this way, going this direction. She's coming up from behind him. He's so surrounded by people that he's almost being crushed. And it says that she came up behind him and she touched him. So if I'm thinking about what's happening there, if I'm trying to put myself in that situation, she didn't just casually walk up to him and just touch him. <laughs> no, that's not what happened at all. Like this woman is fighting to get to Jesus. You ever see a woman in a crowd separated from her child, right? She's like, where's my kid? She's throwing people out of the way. She's knocking things over, yelling, where's my kid? Like, like that's the desperation that she had. She, she had to fight. If he's almost being crushed, she's fighting through the crowd. She's knocking people over. She's like, I'm going to touch Jesus. See, she had what I would call a fighting faith, a fighting faith, not a casual faith. She had a fighting faith. She said, I do believe, just like this this leader, Jarius, that came and fell and said, hey, Jesus, I need you. She came, she fought to get to him. I mean, if, if you're bowed down like Jarius is, he's coming and he says he knelt down before him. If, you, if you're on the ground, someone say that, they, that she, you know, when she touched the hem of, of his garment to be healed, that that would be draped down toward his feet. And in order to touch that, she would have had to bend on the ground too. So there's these two people, both potentially, at least the one we know for sure, but both of them probably on their faces before him, begging for healing, pleading, it says here, pleading with him. So if you're on the ground, I mean, you're worried about being crushed. I mean, if he's being crushed and you're on the ground at his feet and there's all these people, I mean, that's the one place you don't want to be in a mob, right? If there's a, if there's a panic in a sports stadium and everyone's running, you don't want to be on the ground and get trampled. But they fall on the ground. And then they're just begging, Jesus, please heal my daughter. Jesus, I've had 12 years I'm carrying this problem. Could you please help me, Jesus? There's desperation in that. And I just wonder, you know, what, what amazing things come in our life casually? Are we expecting Jesus to change everything, but we're doing nothing? Or we're just doing the minimum? I mean, what, what good things come casually? Does an amazing marriage just happen? Does a godly home just occur? What about career success or fi good financial management or dreams fulfilled? What comes easy without a fight? She had a fighting faith. So she believed, but then she fought to get to Jesus. Are, are you fighting for whatever you're praying for? Are you pouring your heart and soul into it? If you would have followed me around my junior, senior year of high school, you would have seen me on, on game days, basketball game days. You would have seen me wear what the basketball team wore, this, this warm-up outfit that they gave us. And, you know, I think it was a pride thing for a lot of the players and a respect thing because that's oh, cool. And they made the team. A lot of people want to be on the team. They got on the team. But if, if you would have got up close and talked to me, you would have seen that when I wore that around school, it wasn't like a, hey, I'm better. I knew I wasn't the best player. I think the most amount of points I ever scored in a game was like 11. I wasn't like a, the star of the team. But when I wore that, it wasn't because I'm a great player. It was because of what was behind it that meant so much to me. Because what you would know if you heard the story, and if I sat down with you at that age in my life, 16, 17, 18 years old, I said, I was heartbroken when I was in seventh grade. Because I went into our little middle school gym, and I tried out for a week with my friends, and all my friends made the team. But my coach pulled me off to the side, and he said, Brandon, and he tried hard today, but you weren't good enough. So I only have so many spots. I got like 15 spots on the team. 
you're not it. So sorry, man, you're not gonna be on the team. And I, I was, my little seventh grade heart was broken because I, I didn't make it. I wasn't good enough. And he said that and I, I, I couldn't make it. And then one of my friends, I told my friends, well, I, I dream about playing varsity basketball. And I'm in seventh grade and I, I would love to play in 11th, 12th grade. I would love to play on the varsity team in our high school. And he said, there's no way it's gonna happen. He's like, you can't, because he knew that our, our middle school would eventually be joined with the other middle school in town. We got to ninth grade, and so those 15 guys would be cut. Only the best seven of those would make it, and I didn't even make the 15 in seventh grade. And, and then he knew that in the junior year, those seven would be cut in half because they're returning seniors. So there's only going to be like a few of these guys will ever make it, and, and, and that's like years away. And, and so if you would have seen me walking around, you, you would have got close, and you would have realized that that was a big deal for me because there was a time four years later after I had shoveled snow off my Michigan driveway. As Florida people don't know nothing about that, but we had snow all over our driveway. And, and my friends were in a heated gym practicing, and I knew I had to practice twice as hard as they did, but I didn't have a heated gym. And so I went out and I shoveled my Michigan driveway, and I'm out there shooting hoops. I'm playing with my little brothers. Any neighbor kids will play. Like, somebody play me basketball. And I'm going I'm to get on that team. And, 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 and when my junior year came and my, my coach pulled me behind the thing, and, and he said, Brandon, you're not the best player out here. I know that, coach. <laughs> He's like, but, but you work harder than anybody, and you have a great attitude, and congratulations, here's, here's your jersey, here's your uniform, here's your warm-ups. And when I wore that around, it meant something to me because I had to fight to get it. I had to, I had to put my heart in there, and there was a lot of doubts in there in between. Should I give up? I'm going into high school next year. Um, it's going to be my junior year. They're going to cut a lot of guys. I don't know if it's worth me working the next six months, working my tail. Is it, is it going to even work out? Is it going to be worth it? And, and now looking back on my life, that was like, special in that time. It's different now that there's so many things that mean so much more to me, but I learned some lessons there that have carried throughout my life. And if, if it's, if it's something important, if God's putting a God dream in your heart, if there's something that God wants to do in your life, you can have faith. You can believe that. Yeah, I think this can happen, but you're also going to have to fight for it. Good things don't come easy. You want a good marriage, you're going to have to fight for it. You want to change something in your life, you're going to have to fight for it. You need a fighting faith. This woman, she believed that Jesus could bring her healing, but she fought through the crowd and she reached out and touched Jesus. And in that moment, after 12 years of struggle, her life was never the same again. That's what I want. I want Jesus to change my life. I, I want to believe in the power of moments. I don't want to give up faith. And I don't want you to in those long years, 12 years. I don't want you at year nine to be praying and say, I'm going to be different. I'm going to change. This thing's going to be different. And then just give up. Well, God, where are you? I don't believe anymore. See, 12 years, she pushed through pain. And in a single moment, see, here's the thing that's beautiful about Jesus. You never know when that moment's going to come. When you're faithful, when you press in in faith and you follow him and you trust him and you say, Jesus, here's my need. You come in faith. You come and you bring it to him. That could be the moment. Today could be the day that Jesus changes everything. And that's what we want in our lives. Jesus to change everything. Number two, and you know, it's bow to his authority. So this, this man that says he knelt before him, Jairus came, one, he had faith to come to Jesus. You gotta come to him. You gotta have faith. But then you also have to bow to his authority. He, he knelt down. This woman knelt down. They, they bowed before Jesus. They believed in him. They believed in his, his authority, his authority, his power. What, what does it mean to have authority? Authorities you're an expert in something. You, you, you're, you might be the best at it. You have experience. And do you have anything that you'd say you're an authority in? I don't probably have much in my life I'd say I'm an authority in, but there's one thing I for sure I feel like I have authority in. That's, that's I'm really good at sauces, like eating, dipping sauces. I mean, you're like, Brandon, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, like, I'm serious. Like, I am good. I, I, lo- I know sauces. I love sauces. And, and for me, my favorite's like, if I'm going to have meat, like, I don't eat meat to eat meat. I eat meat so I can enjoy the sauces. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it with some, some barbecue sauce 
one, I like to mix my sauces. It's got to have more than one. And not just any barbecue. It's got to be like Sweet Baby Ray's honey brand. You know what I'm talking about? The honey sweeter flavor. So I'm mixing that with some honey mustard. I'm mixing that together. It's kind of like a Chick-fil-A sauce. It just tastes so good. I mean, I don't even, I don't even really need the meat. I just got to have something to chew. You know, while I'm enjoying the, the succulent sauces. It's just so good. And I, I, it was horrible for my marriage when I first got married because Jennifer would make this great meal. And I was so grateful. I'm like, wow, thank you, babe. That's awesome. So much better than Pop-Tarts and Taco Bell that I had been living on when I was single. So grateful that you made this meal for us. And, but then she would put it out and she'd expect me just to eat it, enjoy it. But I'd put sauce all over it. She's like, why are you putting ketchup on that meal? Why are you putting sauce on it? I'm like, well, babe, I love what you did, but I just made it better. And she didn't get that. It just didn't, didn't go well. But we got that figured out. But I still mess with her. I embarrass her because we'll go to like a restaurant. And, and you know, like most restaurants have like, you know, Know, sauces they got everything that you want but but if you go to like a nicer restaurant maybe we're out for an anniversary we don't got like a fancy place much but we're at a nice place I know that if I ask for sauce they're not going to do it you don't you don't you don't get some nice entree or filet or something at a nice restaurant and be like hey can I have some honey mustard it's like they're going to shut you down they don't even have it it's not like it's like a different thing so they're not you can go get that at Applebee's okay man just get out of here so I know that I'm going to get shut down but I want my sauce you know that's why I'm that's why I'm even eating so so I'm I got I got to get creative and I'll embarrass her I'll become like high maintenance mode and I always try not to be even, but I, I am in that moment because I'm like hey so Matt, do, hey do you got anything in the back that's got like a sweet glaze you know like a I'm thinking like a citrusy kind of like maybe a dressing or something. I'm, I'm giving them hints, just getting them thinking of what they might have in the kitchen. And like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll whip you up something. I'll be out. And they always come out of like dipping my really nice. And she's like, really? Come on. Like, it's, it's horrible when I go to a Mexican restaurant because Mexican restaurants, like, man, I, I love Mexican restaurants, especially if they have the white queso dip. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, if you go to a Mexican restaurant and they don't have white queso, just leave. It's not a real authentic place, I'm telling you. But if they have the white queso, what you do, you don't want to order an entree you don't want to, because you don't waste your money. You're just going to eat all the chips if you do what I'm telling you on the dips, okay? Just just order a little taco or something, like two bucks. And then just just eat all the chips. I eat like four or five bowls of the chips. So they, they bring the queso. Don't just dip the queso. That's amateur. You want to dip it and then dip it in the salsa after. Not, not the salsa first. Cheese, then salsa. It's so good, I'm telling you. I got to live on that stuff. And I, and I make the salsa mess. It's got the white and the yellow. And she's like, are you double dipping? I'm like, no. I don't want to waste a chip. I'm triple dipping every little bit. This is my thing. It's like, I, I just pray for Jennifer, you know. But, but I'm serious. I, I'm an authority on that. I got experience. I, I, I get it. I mean, you can ask me a question. I can tell you. I'll tell you, what to, I'll tell you how you eat your food, right? So, but the thing is, there, there's certain areas in our life that we, we feel competent in and experience in. There's other people we would go to when we're looking for experience in something in our life. Just to think about this. Jesus is an authority in every area of our life. Whatever your problem is, wherever your pressure is or your point of pain, Jesus is an authority in that. Like he has experience, he has authority, he has power. And if you'll bring that need to him, if you'll bring that issue to him, Jesus can transform and change whatever that is in your life that you'll have and you'll bring to him. So, so bow to his authority. If you want transformation, bow to his authority. Look at, look at Luke 8, verse 41. It says, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. If you had a 12-year-old dying, you'd do the same. So she was dying. She hadn't died yet. That was going to happen in the midst of that conversation. He's going to get the news. But at that point, when he started pleading, begging on the ground, Jesus, please, she's almost dead, and there's nothing I can do but you. I bow to your authority, Jesus. You can change my situation. This is how we need to pray. Not God bless the meat, let's eat. <laughs> this is a different kind of thing. This is Jesus 
You are life. You're the bread of life. You're my sustenance. You're everything I need. You're the living water. Like, I can't survive without you. Man does not live on bread alone. I need you. I need your presence. God, I cannot have a great marriage without you. I cannot have great relationships. I cannot live above sin and walk in your spirit. I need you, Jesus. And, and that's, the, that's the passion we have to have for him if we want to overcome sin in a world filled with it. And, and here, these, these guys have the passion. They have this faith in Jesus he sees that and he responds. Even though he's surrounded, he responds to what they're asking him. You know, interestingly, many people will get sick and pass away in, in Jesus' ministry on earth. There's a lot of people in his few years that he lived, there was, we don't know how many, but a lot of people would have died. You just know a certain amount per day are dying around the world anytime. And we only have three recorded experiences where Jesus raised a dead person back to life. So there was the story of Lazarus, which was Jesus' close friend. You might know that story. There's this story where an affluent, influential guy, this ruler, Jarius, has a daughter that he ends up going on and bringing back to life. And then on the other side of the socioeconomic scale, there's a widow, a poor woman, whose only family, her son, dies and Jesus brings back to life. So there's three very different scenarios, like a close friend, a really wealthy person, his daughter, and then a poor woman and her son. But but think about it. I mean, that that's unbelievable. And until Jesus himself was raised to the dead after he died on the cross for us, I mean, that's the only stories we have of him bringing someone dead back to life at that point. So, so why did he not bring other people back to life? Because if they were hearing about these stories and hearing about him healing people, you know, certainly there was someone else who had lost somebody. And in that moment of loss, you lose your spouse, a child, a parent. When did you go and beg Jesus? So we, we don't know. Maybe he did some more healings. We don't have documented here, but we, we, we know that he's done these three and that a lot of other people, more people than he healed, died. And, and, and so, you know, that to me says that the, the death, the sting of death touches all of us. It's not, it's not biased, and, but yet Jesus didn't choose to heal everybody. So why is, why is it that sometimes we're praying to God, this woman for 12 years could have been praying, God, heal me. Why does he sometimes answer and sometimes not? Like why, you know, how can I believe that prayer actually makes a difference in the, that I can have faith when sometimes I pray and, and I don't see God's hand, I don't see him working in my life? And, you know, and the short answer is we don't understand in the mystery of God why he allows certain things in our life at certain times and why he, he seems to answer so clearly at other times he seems distant. We know that he's always there and that he always cares, but, but why would he in this situation, why, why would he tell people when he healed them, why would he say, hey, don't go tell anybody? Do you, remember, do you remember that? Like so many times in the Bible, if you hear the story, like if he heals someone, like a blind, he causes them to see a blind person or someone who's lame, they can walk and he'd say, hey, don't tell anybody. You'd see that over and over in the Bible. Why is he doing that? Why would he not heal some people? Well, those questions are really interesting because if you read the story here, it says that he was being crushed by these crowds. He was surrounded by people. And for him to go around raising every person who had a need, and he did a lot of healing, but if he made that his mission, that's all he would have done. He would have just physically healed people. But if he brings someone back to life that's dead, all three of those people, Lazarus, his good friend included, they went on to die again. They went on to suffer and die a second time. It says in the word that man's appointed to die once. And, but these, these guys, we healed him, so they had to die again. And so that was only short-term healing. Jesus didn't come for a short-term fix of the problem that's going on in your life. He didn't come to put a Band-Aid on it. He came to reach right into the heart of where the pain is and bring healing. He is the healing for the issue that's underneath the issue, where the real healing needs to happen. That's why Jesus came. And he came to offer freedom from the, the pain and the sting of death. 
eternal spiritual death, separation from God. He, he came to heal that problem, the problem of sin. That was his mission. He said it over and over again. I've, I've come to help those who are spiritually sick. You know, that's, that's who he needs. I've come to seek and save the, the spiritually lost. That, that's why he came. And so that was his mission, and, and to have everybody constantly crowding him, he could already hardly move in this situation as it was, that, that would have been his whole world. So he's like, don't, don't tell anybody that. I gotta stay focused on my mission. The cross could have come earlier or later, if, depending on how things would have gone with the crowd, if it, he's going around healing everybody. And although he did a lot of that, he stayed so focused on his mission to bring a spiritual healing. And we don't know why he chooses to heal us sometimes and not, but we know his ultimate healing he wants to bring, even when he doesn't answer things when we want him to, when we want him to. He has authority over it. He can. So I'm going to keep asking. I'm not going to be this woman 12 years, you know, 11 years into it, and I'm going to, not going to stop and give up because what, what if, what if? And, and that 12th year was when it changed. So I'm going to keep praying in faith, but I'm also, here's, here's important, bowing to his authority means, God, I surrender even if you don't. Even if you don't change my situation, I'm still trusting and believing in you and trusting that, God, you got the big picture in mind. You know why. And I'm surrendering to you. My, one of my mentors, Pastor Kevin Myers, he said, prayer is not how we secure control. It's how we surrender control. It's not like an ATM where I tell, press all the bright buttons and tell God what to do. It's like this transactional relationship. It, it's, a, it's a personal relationship where he's walking with me through my pain and I'm saying, Jesus, here's where I need your help. I'm bowing to your authority. If you choose to act, please, please do, please, please come into my situation. It's not about what I, getting what I want out of God. It's about finding God himself. And if we can have that perspective, our prayer life is so much richer. Because some of us, our prayer life, if you were to tally it out, it's, it's really mostly about us asking God for things. We hate to think about it like this, but it really is almost like we're walking into a store and we're just saying, God, give me that and that and that and that and that. Amen. And there's so much more to God than that. And your prayer life could just be enriched if you would start to like pray differently. There's so many more things we can talk to God about and, and so, much, so many parts of our heart that we can share with him and connect with him about and trust him in and praying through scripture and, and who he is and all that. So I have to battle his authority, but finally, number three, I need to bring my needs to him. He does want me to come. He does want me to tell him my needs. So I, I, sh- I should come. This, this man comes. That was what it says, and he said. He's, Jerry has said what his problem was, but, but I bring it in humility. That's important. I, I bring it in humility. Jesus, I understand that, that you're the one that has power to act on this, and I, I, I can't do it in my own power. I'm out of options. I need you. Both of these two people are out of options. This woman spent all the money she had. One of the accounts that says that she'd spent everything. So she was poor and broken. And, and, and she says, Jesus, I, I need you. This man, his, his daughter's dying. She's dead. There's nothing else that can be done. Jesus was her only option. And so this humility is saying, Jesus, I need you. You're everything to me. I, I have to have you in my life. I have no other option. Jesus, I need you. You know, messages, text messages. I, I'm one of those people I like to, you know, uh, when I respond to a message, I just kind of delete it fast. And some of you want to delete faster than others because you're like, get that one done. That one's kind of like bad news. This one, oh yeah, let's show somebody. This is good news. Sometimes you get a, a text that's like a weird one. You're trying to figure out like, what do they mean by that? You know, is that like an autocorrect thing? Like, I don't get it. My, my wife got one of these texts a while back. We were um, still in Michigan. Um, we were pregnant with our fourth, our youngest. And uh, she got a text from my mom and she's reading it. And she's like, you know how your relationship changes with your, your parents as you get older? So she's got a good relationship with her mother-in-law, but like, it's just, you know, you don't, you don't, you, you're close, but you know, there's, there's certain lines. And, and, and mom had crossed this line. She texts Jennifer this text, and Jennifer's like, what? And, and she showed it to the girl at the store that she was at, and, and, and this, this girl's like, no, no, that's not good. Because she could tell there was something going on, and she asked, and she showed her. And, and, and the text from my mom said to Jennifer, said, oh, yes, 
exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Sex day. And Jennifer's like, no, there's a day? You guys plan it? I don't want TMI. I don't, too much ever. I don't want to know about my mother. I want to be a good friend, but that's too far. And I come home from work and we're talking to Brent. I got a horrible text message from mom. I don't think I should show you, but you probably want to know. Like, she texted me, like, there's a day. Like, check it out. Like, oh, no, that's my mom, my dad. I don't want to know. And it's just so, oh, it's just cringe, you know? It's like, it's weird. And through some successive text messages, we figured out she wasn't actually saying that. Like, we had a doctor's appointment that next day or whatever it was, and, and we were going to go in and find the gender out of, her ba- of the baby, right, of our baby. And she was saying, oh, sex day, gender day. Come on, mom. What? No, it's just misunderstood. And, and it's a bad thing. But, I, you know, I got a message the other day, and I, I was, I, I just, I delete my messages when I'm done with them, and just, and I want to clear it out. I wanted to have the same thing in the box. And I, I got a, a message in. I got several messages in. I was going through them real quick and getting them done and, and deleting them. And, and I, I realized that I quick deleted a message. It was like, looked like a little group thread, and I didn't read it first. And I didn't mean to, but I deleted it. I'm like, oh, no, I, I didn't read that. That could have been something really important. Someone might have a need or there might be someone giving me some information. It might be you know, someone I love reaching out and just saying, I, I need to know what was that. And, and I looked at my phone and I didn't see a way I could go back and find the message that was deleted. I'm like, How, what am I going to do? And, and, and I remember there's a group thread and sometimes people will copy Jennifer on a group message to me. And so I, I went to her phone and I like scrolled through and I was like, where's, and, and I couldn't find the message. It was gone. Like there was, there was, there was no that person had not messaged her as well, so, and, and I had no copy of it, so there was no way. So I literally, to this day, I have no idea. Someone messaged me, and I have no idea if that was you. I totally apologize. I have no idea. It's my bad. I hope it wasn't important. But I, I literally, I, I mean, I tried everything I could, and I, I, there's nothing I could do. I was out of options. I, there's no way I could figure it out. And, and man, these, these guys, they've got to the point. They have no other option. This woman, it says, for 12 years, she's spent everything she had. She's out of money. She's weary. She's tired. She has no other option. Jesus is her option. And this is a gift to her because she came to the place where she realized, listen, this is so important. She came to the place where she realized that Jesus is her only option. Don't spend your whole life chasing other options, thinking that there is another option to help what's really the problem. Because listen, sometimes we misdiagnose what our problem is and we go try to solve it with our options. This woman said she'd spent all she had on a solution. If she would have said she had a money problem and gone out and tried to solve her money problem, she would have not fixed her real problem. No, she had this health issue that was causing a money problem. If she would have gone out to someone and said, I'm weary, I'm tired, I need help because I have a weariness problem, she would have misdiagnosed the problem. You can't always discern it on your own. You need God's help and and you need to be around a community of believers. This is why I think it's so important to be connected in a local church and afterwards there's tables out back that you you can get connected in a life group or serving teams. You need to get involved. You need to have other believers around you that believe in you, that can encourage you and help you and help identify things going on in you and pray for you and that. But, But here's my point. She had an issue underneath the other issues in her life. That was her real problem. Some people, when they have a lot of options, this is why Jesus says, the rich, it's hard for them to be saved. Why is that? It's because they have options. And by the way, if you didn't know this, we in this room, compared to most people in the world, we got a lot more options. I might say, I'm broke, but you still have a lot more options than most people in the world. And when you have a lot of options, I don't know, maybe this is what's behind the prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, where it says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. No, don't give me too much, God, because then I might, I might start depending on that. 
Now, nothing inherently wrong with, with poverty or riches in themselves, in of itself. It's, it's, it's what's done with it and, and through it and all this. And, and Paul in the Bible, he says, I know what it is to have plenty and I know what it is to be in need. And I've learned the, the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. I've learned that, that Jesus is everything for me. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. He's all I need. What he's saying is it's not about having a lot or little. I, I've found the solution to my healing. It's Jesus. Whatever my need is, it's not going chasing other options because if you got this loneliness thing inside, you got this restlessness, you might misdiagnose the problem and say, I got to go get with somebody. And if I could just find somebody, then I'm going to be happy. Or you might have some issue in your life that's not going well. If I could just fix my, my money problem, if I could just get more, if I could just go accomplish something, if I could be somebody, if someone could look at me and say, wow, look at them. But you would be misdiagnosing your problem and sp- you could spend your entire life chasing other options, saying, I got to fix this. You may have not even diagnosed what the problem is, but once you can find out what you need and once you find out what you need is Jesus, then you can come. And you can come and say, Jesus, you're what I need. And then you'll plead. Then you'll beg. You'll get on your feet and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. And that's when he starts to change everything. But when you don't know that you need him and when you're chasing other options, your life's not going to change. You can fix some things. You can dress them up and make them look good on the outside, but it takes humility to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I have no other options. This woman had exhausted hers. This man who had a dying daughter, he had no other options. What is it you need healing for in your life? What is it that you want Jesus to do? Story concludes this way in Matthew chapter nine. It's kind of a exciting and crazy ending to the story. Jairus' daughter has died. He said, don't give up hope. He goes to his house in Matthew chapter nine, down in verse 23. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, he saw a noisy crowd, people playing pipes. They're already mourning or lost. He said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. <laughs> they laughed at him. They knew she was dead. They checked her pulse. She was dead. They, they'd already known this, that she's dead. And he said, no, she, she's not dead. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in. He went in. He took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout the whole region. He goes inside this room and we read in one of the accounts here, the only other people in the room were the parents and some of his disciples that had gone with him. This is a small group in the, in the room and they see the miracle. They see Jesus say, get up, girl. And, and she gets up and it's like she starts walking around. Mom and dad, no, that's our daughter. She's alive. Come on, it's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. And she lives. And they, imagine what it was like when they walked out. Everyone's mourning the loss of this girl. They're laughing at Jesus. And sometimes people are gonna laugh at you. Sometimes you're gonna have to pray prayers that are embarrassing if they were spoken out loud in front of your friends. But if you have the kind of faith, the audacious faith to say, God, I believe, even if no one else believes, I believe this can happen. I, I trust in your authority. That's the kind of faith that these parents had about this child. And, and this child comes in their, probably in their hand, in their arms. I don't know. Like just, she comes out with them. And, and all these people, like, imagine what they experienced. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we were just laughing. That's, that's impossible. It's impossible. Jesus specializes in the impossible. That's, that's what he does. And what is it in your life that seems impossible? And you're saying, God, I just, I need you to break through. Pray through for the breakthrough. Believe in God that he's going to do more in your life. Trust him. He wants to. I don't know about you. I can't speak on your behalf, but I'll tell you what. I want Jesus to do something great in my life. I want him to do something different. I've been following him for a lot of years, but I want, I want tomorrow, next month, next year to be better than this year. I want God to, I want him to grow me up more. I want to be more in love with Jesus. And I believe he can do that in your life. In your life, I believe it, but you have to believe it and you have to chase him down with faith that he can do immeasurably more, that he can change everything. 
See, I titled this message today on our grand opening day, Grand Revival. Not grand opening, because it's not about a building. And we're so thankful God's provided this church plan, a building. We've been setting up and breaking down in a school, living room, hotel, and all over the place. But just God gave us a space, and we're just thankful for this. But it's never been about a building. If it was about building an institution or organization, it would be about having a building. But it's not been about a grand opening. It's about a grand revival. We want God to do a revival inside of us and in the lives of people that we care about and we love in this community that don't know Jesus. We want God to do something in us. And that's been our prayer, a regional spiritual revival in Jesus' name. Revival, when I was a kid growing up, it was like, you know, there's a preacher that comes in from out of town and they set up a tent and they, they do some special messages and music every night of the week. But that what's behind that word revival, to revive, to bring back to life, that's what we want. And, and I put that final question in your notes for you today. What needs revival inside of me? Write it down, but more importantly, think about the answer. What do you want revival for? Whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus, I'll tell you, I got my list. Or whether you're a new believer or a non-believer, what, what is it in your life you want Jesus to bring revival in? It might be your spiritual life. It might be a relationship, it might be something in your character, but, but what is it, Jesus, that you want Jesus to revive in you? I'll wrap it up this way. I was driving through Palm Harbor the other day, and um, I had, like, flowers on my mind because uh, one of my roles in this project was to kind of get the landscaping looking good outside, and, and I got to pick out, like, some of my favorite flowers. I always wanted hibiscus flowers, and so we got red ones out there and yellow ones and pink ones, and I was just so excited about all these flowers, and I had flowers on my mind, and I was driving down the road in, in Palm Harbor, and I saw this sign, and it had these really bright yellow flowers. I mean, I, I, mean, I literally turned my head. I was just driving, and all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, those are awesome. Like, I, like those are really good-looking flowers. And so I did a U-turn, and I went back. I'm like, I got I to gotta check these things out. I, wanna, I was going to take a picture and find out what variety they were so I can go buy them, and then we're going to plant them at the church. We're have some bright flowers here that can be really cool. And I, I stopped, and I pulled in, and I take a couple pictures, and I get out, and I go walk up to them to get close and find out what kind of flower. I've never seen anything so amazing and so brilliant. And I look, these are fake flowers. Somebody put plastic flowers to get our attention, and it totally worked. I, I bought into it. I stopped, you know. It's like, are you kidding me? These are fake, artificial. These don't, these are not alive. These are dead. And, and you know what? I don't want you to be confused today to think that, man, if I just, if I just chase Jesus, then he's going to just, he's going to make everything look so good and it's going to be beautiful and everybody's going to say, wow, look at you. And look, that, that might happen. You can get, your light is going to get attention and darkness. But, but Jesus was never concerned about just making everything look so good on the outside and you get, you know, everything just kind of get cleaned up. Everybody look, oh man, that person, they've got it all together. In fact, he spent most of his time on earth confronting those who on the outside seem to have everything together and follow all the rules, but in their heart, they were far from him. And he confronted that with a passion because his goal has always not been to look good on the outside, but on the inside to have life where there was death, where there was something that was artificial and it was religious to bring true life and healing and hope. And that's what he wants in your life. Not just to clean up the outside and polish it and brush it up. No, he wants life inside you. And so what's dead? What needs to be revived? Jesus, I want a revival in me. I want it in our church, and our community. Where do you want that in your life? Beg God for it. Reach out, fight for it in faith, and you will see Jesus do more than you can ever imagine. Right on. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.